0: Right. If you haven't made it there, you can head that way, James chapter 5. We're going to get down to verse 11, and the title is Jesus at the Door. Um, No surprise at this point in our study in the book of James that this was a congregation, uh, well, it was Jewish believers that had been spread about because of persecution, and uh, Pastor James is writing to them and in that distressed state. And he is going to tell them how to stand. So we've already read that in chapter 1. But he's going to come back around with a few more details of what they actually did endure um, as we, we go through this study. As we do this, we're going to see that he reminds them that the Lord is coming back. And he also is going to check our attitude. And uh, are we complainers? Are we grumbling? And are we whining? Again, the return of the Lord impacts that. And then he's going to tell us to endure like the prophet. So in many ways, it's a lot like chapter one. Language is very different, but the, the themes are very much the same. So let's begin reading James chapter five, and we'll begin with the first six verses. It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury, and you have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. So not a good group of people. I mean, pretty much about as bad as you can get, especially as you look at that last kind of summary of them that you know, they had committed murder. They had overcome people and had them condemned when they had no way to even resist them or mount a, a comeback against the false claims. They had ripped people off. They had uh, defrauded them financially. And so we have here a group of people that I don't think were attending the church. All right. I think the the people talked about in verses one through six, they're not backslidden believers. I don't think that's who's talked about. These are unbelievers um, that are being spoken to, whether or not they actually heard it. You know, this message from James, you know, I I don't know. I I guess the church could have passed that on. But I think this is really meant to be a word of encouragement to those that were being defrauded, who had suffered the murder of loved ones and brothers and sisters in Christ, who had seen innocent people be condemned and framed up. Um, and, and so he's writing to them, but he's exhorting and warning, and, well, actually not exhorting, he's rebuking those that had committed these, the, the sinful um, abuse of the poor. and But for those that were in, in, in the midst of this, it would have been encouraging to hear what the Lord had to say and what he thinks of them. So not believers, unbelievers who were oppressing the poor. Um, you know, many will, would hear this today and, um, in our culture and they say, yes, you know, all the rich are bad. But that's not what the, the text is saying here. As a matter of fact, towards the close of our study, I'm going to make reference to the fact that it's the Lord who makes an individual rich for them to enjoy the things that he's given. So this idea that all that, are, that have more than you, because it's never those, because somebody else thinks you have more, right? And then somebody else thinks they have more. But it's always whoever has more than you, this is the, that mindset that they're wrong, they're evil, and they certainly have gotten by ill gotten gain, which is true. We're reading it. There is plenty of people who get their wealth through ill-gotten means. They 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 rip people off. But to conclude that everybody is who's wealthy has done this is simply not what the Bible says. God's, we, we read, made Abraham wealthy. It was God's work upon uh, that brought him all of those flocks and all of that. So that would be a wrong conclusion. But that when you do this. To think that you're going to get away with it is not the case. It's like, well, what can they do? They can't take me to court. They don't have the money. I've, I've covered my tracks. Nobody will ever be able to prove that I've I've done these things, so I'm good, I'm covered. Yeah, but what about the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of hosts? What about the one who sees all of this and looks down and has a per- perfect record of you, and he is also the judge, and you won't escape that. This is what was meant to bring encouragement. Because so often a person can feel like, it's like, man, there's no hope. There's no way to get out of this. I'm just beaten down and it will never end. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the answer is it will end. Maybe it'll end even next week as you pray. The Lord will give you some reprieve in this, this present age. But if not in this present age, in the next age, the Lord is going to deal with them and they are going to receive a judgment upon them. You know, James 5, 1 through 6, it sounds a lot like a bunch of the other uh, prophets in the Old Testament. Maybe today, it won't take you long to read it, go home and read the book of Amos. Uh, Amos deals a lot with um, the same kind of topic, the same theme of, of oppression and taking advantage of the poor. But as you read, it's like, wow, James sounds like an Old Testament prophet here. And um, he's rebuking them. He's speaking of the judgment that is going to come upon this earth. And, I mean, it's so, I mean, it's severe as you read it. Um, and how the, there's, you know, their flesh is going to be eaten by fire. I mean, this is not a, an, a, an easy read. But we know that the Bible talks about this from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That judgment will come in the last days. Now, judgment has already come upon the world Once. In the days of Noah through a flood. And the world pretty much rejects and mocks that whole judgment. Which is exactly the way Satan would want it to be. How perfect for him. That we look at this and we think of of this as some kind of ridiculous story. But that it was real judgment is so clear and is so obvious in scripture and the Lord is going to come back and he's going to judge again. But you see, if you know that judgment happened once before, then the idea that judgment's going to happen again suddenly is something you have to deal with. But the easier thing to do, and Peter tells us they do this, they mock it and they make fun of it and say, oh, it never happened. But judgment happened once already worldwide and judgment will happen again. And this is what you read in the book of Revelation, Revelation six through nineteen. Of course, you can read in e- um, Ezekiel, you can read in Daniel, and other places in the New Testament, um, uh, Old Testament, and New Testament of the coming last days judgment. And this is one example of the kind of judgment that is going to be meted out. But let me read to you a passage, 2 Thessalonians one six through ten, and it sounds very similar uh, to what we just read there in James. It says, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Well, at James, they're being troubled, right? And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Well, James was talking about the return of the Lord as well. Verse 8. In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. So he speaks of the, the, the fiery judgment that's going to come. And this is consistent. If you want to read... The largest section in the Bible about this judgment is chapters 6 through 19 in the book of Revelation. That is that seven-year period of judgment. It's kind of like an expanded uh, form of what you just read. There's some difficult things to read in there, but if you understand that it's talking about a future coming judgment and whether or not you can fully understand how the judgment's going to take place and what each element is... That's not the important piece. The important piece is a real literal judgment's coming upon the earth, and it's described in those chapters. So you maybe you're in this place where you have been oppressed and somebody's taken advantage of you and they've taken your stuff, and you've seen family or friends defrauded and condemned. And you're like, Lord, is there ever going to be justice? And he says, Yes, one day there will. And you know, it's the patience of God in bringing judgment that sometimes is difficult for us, isn't it? We look and we're like, Lord, you need to deal with them now. But you know, that same person who's saying you need to deal with them now, if the Lord would have returned 10 years earlier, and they got saved nine years, you know, 11 years uh, ago, they would have missed out on the mercy and the grace of God. So they would be all for the 11 years of God's (laughs) patience, right? Because when God's patient with us, it's a song. It's something to lift our hands over. When God's patient with other people, well, that's a place for us to grow. And so, you know, God is long-suffering, and he is waiting. And you, maybe you're in here today, and you're like, well, I'm not a Christian, and I, that's it. I, I, what else are you guys doing? You always talk about fire and judgment. Well, yeah, when we read it, we talk about it. And this is what's being talked about here. But maybe it's just for you. Just to hear that there is a real judgment, that you'll have a day of accounting with your creator and with your maker. And the Lord's desire is that you will meet him as one who follows him. One who has believed in the Gospels. We just read there in Second Thessalonians. Believe on Jesus Christ and be saved. Be saved from the judgment that is to come that will be an eternal judgment. The Bible says in Isaiah that when God is finished at the end of the seven-year tribulation during the day of the Lord, that man is going to be more rare than fine gold. So the judgment that is to come is going to be severe. And the Lord is faithful to warn. Um, So this is something that's coming upon the earth. Just three quick points before we leave this section about um, uh, people abusing and taking people's money and and the rich and how they, uh, ungodly rich, have handled this. I want to read three quick passages on how Every believer, no matter what you have, should respond to money and to um, the resources that God gives you. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So if somebody's rich, it's God who's given it to them. And it can be enjoyed. It should not be something that makes them miserable, but they shouldn't be trusting in it. They shouldn't be um, looking to what they can accumulate and say, that's there. Now I'm set. I'm I'm all set. Nothing wrong can happen, bad can happen now. Well, no, those things are uncertain. But what is certain is your living God. And He is able to take care of you. And that is where your trust should be. So don't trust in your money. Trust in the one who said that he would never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 6, 19 through 20 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure. And the the idea of lay up here could actually be um, hoard. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So here, the second point is, is, make sure you're storing up heavenly riches that will never be taken away from you. You have an account number in heaven. And everything you do in this life for the the glory of the Lord and in the name of the Lord is being attributed and is being accounted. And one day when you stand before the Lord, you will receive a reward on how you have, according to that account, and how you've given. As a matter of fact, Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians even spoke of how their giving is something that the Lord would not forget, their financial giving. So the Lord is looking. You know, why is he looking? Because he is looking for every way possible to bless you. He's looking for every single way in which he can pour out his grace and his blessing and his reward on you. Jesus is very excited about giving you a reward. You know, um, we're at Christmas time right now, right? And some of you, um, are going to get that gift, and I actually did it this morning. I got a gift and I gave it to Rebecca this morning. It wasn't a great gift, but it was just a little thing. I'm like, you know what? Go ahead and open this, and and so she got it because you know what? It's like, oh, is this. You know, we like to when you buy something for somebody, you you want to give it to them, right? You look forward to that day. Hey, well, Jesus has bought you eternal life, and He's coming with rewards. Say, hey, I'm coming with my rewards, and so we should be storing up treasure in heaven. You know, looking for that day where we meet the Lord and he gives to us those blessings. Don't store it up here on earth. It's all going to just evaporate anyways. And then lastly, Deuteronomy six, ten through 13. This is when Israel's um, about to go into the promised land. And he says, you're going to go in, you're going to get a land that I promised to your fathers. You're going to have homes that you didn't build. You're going to have wells you didn't dig. You're going to have uh, you know, uh, vineyards and um, uh, all kinds of uh, crops that you didn't plant, and you're going to be blessed. Then he says in verse 12, he says, then beware lest you forget the Lord. It's when we are in prosperity that we are most likely to forget the Lord. It's not when you're in a place of need. Solomon said, may it not be um, so hungry that I would still, nor make me so abundant that I would forget. There's a good place to be, just right in the, that middle place where you're trusting in the Lord and you're receiving, and you're trusting and you're receiving. But you know that really is a, a matter of the heart, and not so much the circumstances. But you know, if you have started out in a place where you are desperate for the Lord, and now those things you are desperate for, He has answered and He's brought into your life and He's blessed you with. Don't don't forget Him. Don't forget the Lord. Set your eyes upon him. So I think those are three great passages. You can have a wonderful conversation around the table today and say, hey, how are we handling our, our money? How are we handling those things that the Lord has given to us? Are we trusting in uncertain riches? Are we storing things up in heaven? Are we forgetting him? Those are some good questions for us to ponder. But let's keep on moving on in there in James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. So I would say indirectly, he spoke to those that were oppressed by announcing the judgment that was to come upon the oppressors. They were the ones that would have received this letter and it would have given them the encouragement that the Lord heard. But he now speaks directly to them. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain? You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So, In the midst of people that were oppressed, he wants to encourage them. And the way that he encourages them is Jesus is coming back. The Lord is coming. This is something that is so important for us. But he begins by talking about how they need to be like a farmer that waits patiently. You know, no successful farmer um, expects the crops to come before it's the right season. Now, we don't know when the season is going to be ripe for the return of the Lord, but, the, but he does. But our job is just to be faithful and to endure until that time. And so I just want to ask you, what is it the temperature of your heart like towards the return of the Lord? Is this something that it's like, it excites you? Is this something that encourages you? Is this something that purifies you? Because that's kind of where we're going. Is this something that when you're discouraged... You find great hope in because you know that the present sufferings of this present hour are not worthy to be compared to the glory. And it changes your outlook. It changes your emotional state. It changes your behavior. That's what the hope and the return of the Lord is all about. You know, I, there are plenty of people who have set dates and set times in which the Lord is going to return. and. And if you have gotten caught up into that, and only to realize later that you know that was wrong, and it was wrong, he's not returned, um, and you feel like man, you were just cheated, and you'll never be um, suckered like that again. So you don't even you don't even think about the return of the Lord. That is equally as a wrong. You know the Bible said you wouldn't know the day or the hour. Um, that teacher should have believed the Lord and not been filled with pride to think he would actually know. He doesn't know. She doesn't know, you don't know, and I don't know. So what we should, though, be doing is, is being patient and waiting for this time to come when Jesus will return to receive that fruit. And the exhortation is to, um, is to be patient, right, is to endure. And so if you have the thought of, like, I just can't take another day of, of all this stuff, yeah, you can. You can. It's hard. I, I understand it. I mean, we've all said, I just can't endure another day. But the reality is this, with God's grace, you can. With God's grace, you can. It's like, yeah, but it's hard. You know, and we set these dates in our mind, not like the date of the Lord, but it's like, I can endure until this. And when this time comes, it's done. I can't endure anymore. And you get there and you find that you can endure. And that you now actually, that event that you said you couldn't do is three years behind you. And look at you. You're still standing. Your eyes are still on the Lord. I love this illustration from um, the children of Israel walking around. You know, how long do shoes last out in the desert? How long do sandals last out in the desert? Forty years. That's how long they last. But nobody thought they would last. Every day you could hear mom saying to dad, Hey, these sandals aren't going to last forever right? We're going to have to find some sandals somewhere, and there it is, another day, another week, another month, another year, another decade. And four decades later, the Lord enabled them to walk in difficult trials, and things didn't blow out. And the same is true for you. You're going to be all right. Is it hard? Oh, it's hard. We're not saying it's not hard or it's not painful. We're just saying you're going to make it, and you got to be patient. Hang in, trust in the Lord, and, um, and wait for that, that fruit to come. You don't want to miss out on this fruit. You don't want to miss out on the return of the Lord and all that he has planned for you. One author says, both farmers and Christians must live by faith, looking toward the future reward for their labors. Don't live as if Christ will never come. Work faithfully to build up his kingdom. The king will come when the time is ripe. And you will receive your reward and he will be blessed. So establish your heart. Be, you know, just, you know, uh, uh, steadfast in your thoughts and your ideas. And, you know, uh, you know another example of enduring, um, kind of a little sick thing, but, uh, you know, they did this test on lab rats, and um, they, they put them in, you know, water to see how long, they, they would swim, and on the first day, they would swim to a point, and right when they were about to go down, they would take them out of the water. The next time they did it, I don't know if it was the next day, but the next time they put them in the water, they found that the, the rats could swim twice as long because they had hope. Uh, if a rat can do that, you can do it. You can do it. The Lord is on your side. You will make it. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't say, I can't do this. You can say, I can't do this on my own, but guess what? You're not on your own. You're in in a room full of people that want to walk with you, but more than that, you have your Lord who's going to finish that work in your life. So establish your heart, be steadfast, and um, yeah, you're going to make it. Verse 9, James 5, 9. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, Lest you be condemned, behold, the judge is standing at the door. All right, so, I mean, just contextually, verses 1 through 6, the rich are going to receive judgment. They've been oppressing. Verses 7 and 8, he speaks to those that are being oppressed and saying, hey, the Lord's going to come. Um, Be patient. Understand the context. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another. Where does that come from? I mean, contextually, what's the line of thinking here? Why do we go from oppression um, of the rich... To, you know, stand fast, the Lord's coming. And now all of a sudden we're talking about infighting inside the church. Isn't this something that was coming from the outside? And the answer, yeah, it was. It was the like unbelieving that we're doing all this. So how do we get to this conversation about grumbling? I think it's like this. When you're stressed out, when you're pressed down, when everything is against you, it's easy to get mad at anybody. Not just me, right? Can, can anybody else agree? Yeah, this is something that happens when I really begin to be pressed. Now I can start to get angry at everybody. The word here for grumble is a Greek word "stenazo," and it means to express discontent. That's a pretty low bar to get over, isn't it? Sadly. To express discontent, to complain. Now obviously it can be complaining out. out loud and letting a person know but there's a lot of complaining we do that people never ever hear but you know who does hear it it's the Lord and the Lord says do not grumble against one another so you have the pressure that's coming from outside you have those that are oppressing you not paying you not doing you know um, their fair um, part of the deal and giving you the wages but now you start to grumble and complain against people around you, and they haven't done anything um, of, of significance. But you're, just, you're running so thin. You're so pressed that everybody else is to blame for what's going on. And here's something that I think will help us with this. Our frustration with God is first and often, I'll say, often manifested in our frustration with people. So who are we really angry at here? Who are we really upset with? There are so many examples we could turn to in the Bible where that truth that we are will get frustrated with people before we get frustrated with God. Uh, One that stands out to me so clearly is uh, Korah. Korah was a man um, living in the days of Moses, and Moses, of course, had been given a significant place of leadership in the nation, was used mightily, saw God uh, face-to-face, performed miracles, and did all of these other things. And and, and Korah's like, who are you? Who are you that you get to have all these advantages and privileges? We don't think you should have this. You take too much upon yourself. He's like, listen, I'm not taking anything on myself. God's given it to me. But, you know, I'll tell you what, we'll let God decide whose side he's on. And so God comes in, you know, to them. And the most amazing thing happens um, as they're complaining against Moses, Korah, um, and, you know, the rebels are with them. The ground literally opens up, a fissure in the earth opens up, and they are dropped down into the earth, and then it closes shut. And do you know what the children of Israel did? They blamed Moses for doing that. Just imagine trying to to hear, say, you think I opened the earth? I mean, what is wrong with you people? No, I didn't do that, this is what the Lord did. But you see, this illustrates how Korah, he's angry at the favor and the grace that God has put upon Moses. And he begins to grumble, he begins to express his discontent, he begins to complain, and it's really not against Moses, it's against God. And God deals with that. And I would encourage you just to stop and ask yourself, Am I really, is it really God that I'm angry with? Is it my frustration with him because he hasn't blessed me with a better job or a better this or a better that or not as much of that? I'm upset because of this. And now in that situation, we can easily become frustrated with everybody else around us. And it's not them It's you. It's you. And you're like, yeah, you know, you can say that, but you don't have any idea of what I've gone through. I mean, you know, that I'm not allowed to express discontent and complain. I don't know that I really agree with that. I mean, I've got real hard things I've gone through in my life. Okay. I, you know, probably harder than I understand. But is it harder than what we just read here in verses one through six? Because that's the people that he's speaking to. He's speaking to people who, have had family members murdered. He's talking to people who have watched persecution take place. He's watched people go into financial ruin. He's talking to people who have seen unfair treatment and rigged court you know, uh, dates. They've gone through all that. He is saying this to them that have gone through all that. Don't complain against your brother. And so your circumstances may be difficult, but they're not that difficult. And even if they are worse than theirs, I would argue that the truth still remains. Is that we should not be those that are, you know, complaining. We should be those that are praising. We should not be those that are, are getting mad and shaking our fists at everybody. We should be those that are raising our hands and giving God glory. That he is coming back and that he's going to rescue. This is a challenging portion of scripture. It's like, well, what's the, What if I don't? Well, let's read. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be what? Condemned. That's not a small thing. For the Lord to look and say, that is a rebukable offense. I condemn that attitude. I do not tolerate that. And behold, the judge is standing at the door. The idea is. Jesus is about to walk into your life. What are the attitudes? What are the things you want to be found doing? Where do you want your hands to be found when the Lord returns? Where do you want your feet to be bringing you? What do you want your mind to be thinking on? What do you want coming out of your mouth? And knowing that the Lord is about the judge who will condemn grumbling, if you're grumbling, that should stop it. The Lord doesn't like whiner babies, I guess. He says, please stop this. I don't want to hear it. I'm about to come back. Stop it. And knowing that you have somebody who you're accountable to about to show up, it does change your behavior. If you're driving and you're you're speeding and you, you know, have, uh, you know, you, you know, I don't know, you're using ways and you see that the cops coming, do you, do you slow down or you speed up? If you if you see that there's a cop up there, do you speed it up or do you slow down? You know, so yeah, you see where you're held accountable. It's going to change your behavior. If you know your boss is about to come, what what's your work like? It, does it change? Uh, yeah, well, you know, maybe it's like, oh, well, I'm a good employee, but you're just you're going to double down on it. You're going to you're going to think a little bit longer. You know, when I was a when I was a you know a little boy, I was I was a handful. Um, you, my parents don't even know the half of what I did, I'm telling you. But I'll inform them about one little thing right now um, that they've never heard. So when I was, I, you know, my parents weren't at the house and, um, and I got hold of some matches and, and some aerosol cans. <laughs> and I just thought, this might be interesting. So I don't know how I thought about it, but I, you know, um, I was late elementary school, maybe early middle school. And um, so I d- started doing this in the, back of, in the backyard of the house. Um, but I knew they were about to come home. So like after every little episode, I would run back to the front of the house and I and I look down the road, because these were really long roads out in Florida, and i go back and i do it. You, but you see, um, I didn't want to get caught. Uh, I feared my dad a lot. Um, not like he was abusive, but <laughs> I would have gotten in trouble and should have gotten in trouble for what I was doing. And so I wanted to make certain I was, hey, the the Lord is standing at at the door. And you you can't look out there and say, oh, I've got another 10 minutes. It might be right now. And so knowing that he's about to step through the door ought to change what's coming out of our mouth. It ought to impact my speech. And so this is the exhortation we have. The Lord is about to come. And the time is short. The time is short. I mean, the, the, the Bible, the New Testament in particular, it speaks of the imminent return of Christ. The imminent return of Christ means there's nothing that needs to happen before Jesus returns. You can't say that before he ascended to heaven. It was not the imminent return of Christ. The prophecies were still being fulfilled that had to be fulfilled. But when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, now everything that needs to happen before he comes back a second time has already been uh, been fulfilled. Now, it's not to say that other prophecies can't be fulfilled, and we definitely see some being fulfilled, but they are not necessary for him to return. And so, at any moment, the Lord can return. And, and I actually, just as a side note, I believe the pre-tribulation rapture view, which says Jesus will come back before the great tribulation, fits and allows for the, the, the deepest sense of that imminent return. Because if you get into the tribulation, and we are in the tribulation, and we're watching it, we know that we got seven years. And I know that at the abomination of desolation, I can count 1,260 days, and then Jesus will come back. So it's no longer so imminent. It's actually, it's a countdown. And, um, and so I would, we'll get into more of that when we get into Revelation. But this is how the early church lived. Like Jesus is about to come back. Romans 13, 11, and 12 says, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Get serious about your walk with Jesus and walking in holiness because the day is at hand. Or 1 Peter 4, 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Knowing that the Lord is about to return should make us prayer warriors. So you can go through and see how this is meant to have a definite impact upon our character, nature, our behavior, our attitudes, and even our speech. Well, verses 10 and 11, and we'll wrap it up with these two verses. It says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Be like the prophets. Endure like the prophets. Endure because Jesus is about to come back. Endure because they're going to be judged, but endure like those that you count as blessed. When you think of the men and the women that have gone before us, so you think of those prophets like Moses or Jeremiah or Daniel or Job, as he points out, and we think about them, we see the blessing. But they also suffered much, and they endured a lot. And we, But we look at them and we think, these men, uh, these women of God, these were great Individuals but, but how much did they endure? And so he is calling us to be like them, as to be an example of suffering and patience to others. We shouldn't be surprised by trials. Second Timothy 3:12 says, "Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution." Just not some. Everybody who follows the Lord is going to endure this, this kind of trial, this kind of difficulty. First Peter 4.12 says that we shouldn't consider a strange thing, the fiery trials that have come to try us. I like something strange has happened. So when the trials come upon our life, the response shouldn't be, I can't believe all this is going on. No, the response ought to be, well, the Lord told me this would happen. And we shouldn't be taken by surprise through these difficulties what we should do is we should lock in and be ready to endure and to be faithful to the end what is it that could take you away from following the Lord is there anything is there anything that could happen in life if this happened if that happened if this trial or that difficulty I pray that every one of you would respond there is nothing in this world or out of this world that could ever take me away from following Jesus Christ I know who he is. I know what he's done. And I know he's coming back. And I will follow him to the very end. We don't want to be fair-weathered followers. We want to be like Job, right? The perseverance of Job. He endured so much. And his heart and mind was, I will cling to the Lord no matter what. Job thirteen fifteen. He had lost his children. He had lost his health. He had lost his riches. And we read this from Job. Though he slay me, still I will trust him. Job was like, listen, I've gone through a lot, but I'm willing to go through even more. I'm willing, if he even takes my life, that's okay. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him through no matter what I go through. Now, his wife had a different opinion, right? His wife, as she saw him in this misery and going through all the, these health challenges, she said to him, why don't you curse God and die? If you curse God, he'll judge you, and then your misery will be over. He says, you are a foolish woman. And he says, I'm ready to have everything taken away. I'm not going to be one who follows and then says no more. And so, yeah, trials are difficult and difficulties. They come into our life. Nobody's trying to say that what you're going through isn't significant or painful or hurtful or hard or even harder than any of us or all of us put together have gone through. But the word of the Lord is endure. Be steadfast. Don't be moved. The idea of persevering is not a real popular idea in our current age. But boy, it is all over scripture. Closing quote here, it says, in an age of instant solutions and results, how the word persevere grinds against our will. We had much rather read quickly or immediately than be reminded again That God's timing and priorities are different from ours. But perseverance is never instantaneous. And so the Lord has called us to persevere. And so remain faithful. Be steadfast. Jesus is coming. And he's coming with his reward. And the glory that you will receive is not even worthy to be compared to your current trials. It gets so much more. You got that reversed. Your trials are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to come. And so set your mind on on that which is to come. The Lord clearly in Scripture wants us to be thinking about His return. And the more we do that, the better off we're going to be. Let's close here in prayer. Father, thank you that you have seen us in our difficulties and our trials. Just like you saw these, these Hebrew believers that were being ripped off in the marketplace and they were being... Even murder was happening and rigged court cases. Lord, you saw it all. And you announced that one day you'll deal with it all. And so, Lord, we want to be patient. (laughs) You have said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Lord, we want that which is yours to be yours and not touch it. Give us the knowledge that you are involved. That we not make a foolish mistake. If you're in need of patience and endurance and isn't this isn't just patience and endurance to barely make it this is the kind of patience and endurance to thrive to thrive in the in where you are in the difficulties God's not just trying to get you through it God wants you to be triumphant and victorious and like a prophet that's an example to others that he will receive glory from yeah, you don't nobody's saying what you're going through is small but the Lord is still calling you to trust him maybe you haven't thought upon the return of the Lord and manly like, forever you've not allowed that knowledge that Jesus is coming back to produce any joy in your heart you know you just for whatever reason it's just it, it's not meaningful to you I mean you believe in him and you believe he's coming back but Man, it's not produced, you know, like even a glimmer of joy in your eye. Why? Ask the Lord to make this hope of your salvation life changing, character changing, speech changing. And if you are a person who is hearing of this coming judgment, you're like, wow, I don't want to be on the wrong side of the Lord, then good news. He has done everything that needs to be done. He has taken the judgment and he's poured it out upon his son that was yours, that was mine, that was ours. And if you will come and you will receive that grace by faith, you won't endure judgment, but you will be one that receives the reward when he returns. I'll give you a moment to pray and then we're going to close with this song.